Hello there everyone, I'm Rob and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 8th of February 2023. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking dash news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 we hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading this week, we have myself Rob, Christine, Angela, Ian, Liz, Helen, Mina, Simon, and of course, not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, we have Local News of the Black Country, an update from Beacon, our fortnightly bulletin of practical information and sight loss tips, the quiz with Mina, the latest news from West Bromwich Albion and Wolves, did you know section of even more random facts from Flashback Roger. The word for the week ahead. And in light of recent news about smart meters, we have an information article about the RNIB, Smart Energy GB and the Partially Sighted Society offering some money-saving advice for those living with sight loss. Local news to start though, with Liz, Christine, Ian, but first, it's Angela. Strikes are set to continue in a swathe of sectors in the coming days and weeks, with industrial action likely to impact on travel, health and education across the region. Here are the plans for strikes and ballots for unions in our region. Bus drivers. Thousands of workers at National Express West Midlands are to begin balloting for strike action in the coming days. Unite, the union, will open the ballot to more than 3,000 bus drivers and over 250 office staff in a row over pay. If the workers vote in favour of strikes, they will join around 200 National Express engineers who are also ready to take industrial action following a successful strike ballot. The ballot for strike action opens on February the 8th and closes on March the 1st, with strikes likely to begin later that month if workers vote in favour. Ambulance staff. Ambulance workers in England and Wales are on strike on various dates until the end of March, including paramedics, drivers and call handlers. Patients might have to wait longer for 999 and 111 calls to be answered and, while life-threatening calls will be responded to, less urgent cases may not. West Midlands Ambulance Trust workers are set to strike on February the 17th, March the 6th and March the 20th. Nurses and junior doctors. Thousands of nurses will go on strike again this week, although the impact on our region is patchy as our main hospitals did not have enough voting in the ballot to get a mandate. The Royal College of Nursing is calling for a 19% pay rise, which the government says is unaffordable. 
Around 45,000 junior doctors are being balloted on strike action, with a result set for the end of February. If they reach the 50% yes threshold, then junior doctors, any doctors below consultant level, will begin a 72-hour full walkout in March. Teachers Seven days of strikes are planned in England and Wales during February and March by the NEU. Around 100,000 teachers walked out last week. Members of the NASUWT union announced strike action on February the 28th and March the 1st. Most state school teachers in England and Wales have had a 5% pay rise this year. The NASUWT is after a 12% increase. Firefighters. Members of the Fire Brigade Union, FBU, have recently decided to take industrial action after they rejected a below-inflation 5% pay increase. The government and employers have been given until February the 9th to improve the offer. Royal Mail. Royal Mail workers carried out six days of industrial action at Christmas. The Communication Workers' Union says the latest payoff of 9% over two years is below inflation. Talks are ongoing. A consultation for the future of a Dudley Town Centre site is set to launch later this year, which could see hundreds of homes built. Dudley Council is preparing to consult on its development brief for a substantial plot of brownfield land in Dudley Town Centre. The former Portersfield site, which is located near the bus station, is expected to attract a multi-million pound private investment. Forming a key part of the Council's economic regeneration plan, it is hoped the large site will provide significant space for brownfield housing development, delivering much-needed residential properties in the town centre. In 2020, the eight-storey eyesore office block Cavendish House was bulldozed to help pave the way for the Portersfield scheme. Councillor Patrick Harley, leader of Dudley Council, said... Following several high-level discussions with prospective investors, I'm pleased to confirm that we will be consulting over exciting proposals for the Portersfield site this spring. The regeneration of this Dudley Town Centre will create hundreds of homes, provide exciting new leisure opportunities and could create up to 500 jobs supporting the local economy. Dudley Council is committed to driving investment and economic regeneration for our town centres and we continue to focus our housing developments on the borough's brownfield sites. The council says details of how people can take part in the consultation will be confirmed in the coming weeks. Community activists at 38 Degrees Stourbridge have collected 100 signatures in protest against the closure of a Nat West branch this week. Bosses at the bank said it had received just one complaint about the decision to shut the branch in High Street due to dwindling customer visits since 2019. But the group claims that the fall in the numbers happened during the COVID pandemic crisis and that many of the customers it spoke to were unaware of the closure. It said it wants a meeting with bank bosses. People are upset at the prospect of losing face-to-face banking after years of using the branch. The reaction was that not everyone wants to or can bank online or on the phone. The nearest alternative walk-in branch is nearly four miles away at Merry Hill, Linda Foster of the group said. An AppWest statement said, We understand and recognise that digital solutions aren't right for everyone or every situation and that when we close branches, we have to make sure that no one is left behind. 
We take our responsibility seriously to support the people who face challenges in moving online, so we are investing to provide them with support and alternatives that work for them. Wollaston and Stourbridge Town Ward representative, Councillor Kat Eccles, said, The first I knew was a letter late last year to me as a customer. No consultation has been brought to my attention. I'm very disappointed about the planned closure of NatWest. It seems they're determined to go ahead despite people's objections. Ms Eccles said that she is exploring alternative ways to maintain face-to-face services in the town for NatWest customers shut out by the branch closure. Police in areas of Wolverhampton are warning of males on bikes snatching mobile phones straight out of the hands of victims. Several reports have been made in the Chapel Ash and Penfields area of the city. A spokesman for West Midlands Police said, We have been made aware of a number of robberies of mobile phones. Victims have been approached by males on bikes snatching mobiles out of victims' hands. Please keep valuables hidden when out and about. Up next, we hear from Helen who of course has for us the Beacon Update. Hi everyone, it's Helen from Beacon, back with your weekly update of everything that's been happening at the charity. And I'm starting this week with an extra special thank you. And that's because it's to all of you. Whether you braved the cold to take part in our annual Santa run, enjoyed one of our delicious festive lunches, remembered someone special at our annual forget-me-not service, or entered one of our shop sweepstakes. Together, you helped raise more than £7,500. Thank you so much for your incredible support, which helps us make sure no one has to face sight loss alone. If you want to be the first to hear about our 2023 events, you can add your email to our mailing list. Just email supportus at beaconvision.org to sign up. Now, here's a quote for you. Affording someone their right to dignity is more than a deed, more than an attitude, an expression, a look, a touch. It is absolutely how you make a person feel. That's so true. And on Dignity Action Day, which was on February the 1st, we asked our Health and Wellbeing Director and CEO of National Dignity Council, Jan Burns MBE, what dignity means to her. And that's what she told us. If you'd like to find out more about Dignity in Care, visit www.dignityincare.org.uk. And on the subject of dignity, can you or someone you know deliver care with kindness, respect and compassion? We're looking for people to join our care team who can help us support and empower people to maintain their independence for as long as possible. To find out more, head to our website www.beaconvision.org forward slash jobs. And I've got a lovely little story to finish this week. We're delighted to let you know that we have now transported more than 100 people to activities across the West Midlands as part of our work on the Community Transport Association Tackling Loneliness Project. We're so pleased to be part of this national programme to help connect people with their communities and alleviate feelings of loneliness and isolation. If you'd like to find out if our transport service can help you, call 01902 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Cheers that update, Helen. Up now, we're our next block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear Christine. A community shop scheme is helping thousands of people to save money while still getting their weekly shop. 
The community shop scheme in Wolverhampton has seen more than 4,500 people sign up as members, paying a membership fee, which varies between venues, and make an average of £30 a week savings on their weekly shopping. The scheme was created by Wolverhampton Council, who made an initial investment of £175,000 in the five shops, which are spread around the city. The council is providing ongoing support, expertise and resources. A recent comparison showed a basket of same quality products providing a week's worth of meals for two people currently costs £28.80 at the community shop, compared to £63.16 at two large supermarkets. Leader of Wolverhampton Council, Councillor Ian Brookfield, said there were big savings to be made and encouraged residents to try them out to help their money go further. It's been estimated by Wolverhampton Council that around £7 million could be saved by households using the community shops, which can be found in Bilston, Eastfield, Low Hill, Park Village and the Scotlands. For more information and the latest locations as they happen, go to wolverhampton.gov.uk forward slash cost dash of dash living dash support. Larger food chains are also looking to innovate schemes to try to help households navigate through these tough times. Ian can tell us more on how Aldi is rolling out its partnership with Surplus Food app Too Good To Go to all of its 990 UK stores. A new partnership will see budget supermarket Aldi join forces with the biggest food surplus platform Too Good To Go. Bags of food which would have otherwise gone to waste will now be able to be purchased at a discounted rate. It follows a successful trial in 2022 and will apply at all of Aldi's 990 UK stores. The so-called magic bags will include at least £10 worth of groceries that are almost out of date but priced at £3.30, a fraction of the usual retail price. To buy one of the bags, shoppers will need to download the Too Good To Go app search for their nearest Aldi store and then reserve a bag to collect. It is hoped the rollout will save 4,000 tonnes of food from being wasted and Aldi said it will continue to donate surplus food to local causes. Liz Fox, Corporate Responsibility Director at Aldi UK said, With the rising cost of living impacting so many, Too Good To Go offers a simple and accessible way for consumers to save money and reduce waste. Other businesses to work with Too Good To Go which was created in 2016, include Deliveroo, Greggs, and a number of convenience retailers such as Central England Co-op. Prisoners at a jail near Wolverhampton get luxury meals for cheaper than a struggling mum or dad would at a supermarket, it has emerged. Certain cons at HMP Oakwood, England's largest prison, can choose from a menu of tasty options every week as a reward for good behaviour. Those deemed to deserve it can pick from a long list of delicious options on a meat order form, including rump steak, lamb shank and lamb chops, or opt for a bumper order of all for £35, less than it would cost in the supermarket as the same order from Tesco would cost around £46. Other food on the menu like pies, chicken wings and boneless chicken thighs are also cheaper at HMP Oakwood than Tesco. The jail is home to around 2,100 inmates. Most are serving more than four years and half of inmates pose a high risk to others. 
but those judged to have been well behaved can order slap-up meals with cash either earned inside or sent to them by families. It means convicted criminals, including violent offenders, even if being rewarded for good behaviour, are getting better meals than many on the outside facing a daily battle to put food on the table. Such revelations have led to questions about why certain prisoners have access to such treats and how they can buy them for cheaper than ordinary law-abiding families on the outside struggling to make ends meet during the cost of living crisis. Criminal barrister Jerry Hayes told ITV's Good Morning Britain, nurses, teachers and all those people who are desperately struggling, they don't get any subsidies, they don't get much help and some of them have to go to food banks. Come on, it's wrong. It gives the wrong message as well. Rory Gogahan of Public Safety Foundation added, It may come as news to some prison governors and prison operators, but a prison sentence is supposed to be a punishment. Prison bosses argue the Ministry of Justice's incentives policy framework, which the luxury meals come under, encourages criminals to follow the rules and change their ways. A 14-year-old girl from the black country was left terrified when British gas agents broke into her home to install prepayment meters. Ofgem has launched an investigation into British gas following reports the firm has been sending debt collectors to break into customers' homes to force-fit prepayment meters, including in vulnerable households. The family home near Dudley was broken into by two British gas agents and a locksmith on October 20th, 2022, while one of the 14-year-old twin daughters was ill at home, leaving the family and local community feeling shocked, terrified and angered. The family added that they were not in a contract with British gas, but the company decided to be her broker. They further berated British Gas for its response to the incident, which has involved the company refusing to share important details, such as the names of the agents and the licence of the locksmith with the family. The energy giant will also be brought before Energy Minister Graham Stewart to explain itself as the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, BEIS, said, forcibly switching customers should only ever be a last resort. British Gas has announced it will stop applying for court warrants to enter customers' homes and fit prepayment meters, following reports that they had been forced on vulnerable customers. A spokesperson from Centrica said, We are really concerned about the experience of this customer and we will look into this urgently to understand exactly what's happened here and we will take all of the appropriate action. We've made clear we feel extremely let down by this company, carrying out warrants on our behalf. In a broader statement made, the company said, Protecting vulnerable customers is an absolute priority and we have clear processes and policies to ensure we manage customer debt carefully and safely. The allegations around our third-party contractor, Arvato, are unacceptable and we immediately suspended their warrant activity. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question one. What was the profession of the man who invented candy floss? Question two. 
What is the practice of counting swans on the Thames called? Question three. How many bones do we have in each foot? Question four. How long could it take to drive a car into space? Question five. What did Alfred Hitchcock say he was afraid of? And finally, question six. What is heavy but lighter than air? I will be back with you with the answers later, but for now, best of luck. Cheers for those questions, Mina. I'll get my mind working on those. Up now, however, it's another block of local news. The hotspot areas for the West Midlands and Black Country region have been revealed as the Japanese knotweed begins to wreak havoc in gardens. Japanese knotweed is an invasive weed feared by many gardeners, as it can shoot out of the earth at a whopping 10 centimetres per day. With bamboo-like shoots, it can reach over 2 metres tall, springing up unwantedly in gardens. Its rapid growth stops other plants from growing, and the weed can weave its way into cracks and weak points in buildings, causing damage. Tarmac and paving can also fall victim to its destructive nature. The Japanese knotweed, which is native to Japan, Korea and China, was first brought to Britain in 1850 by Philipp von Siebold, a German botanist and traveller. He was unaware of the environmental impact that the weed would cause. Broken down hotspot areas for the black country are as follows. The information is provided by Environet. Hales-Owen, 56 occurrences within 4 kilometres. Dudley, 46 occurrences within 4 kilometres. Stourbridge, 44 occurrences within 4 kilometres. West Bromwich, 41 occurrences within 4 kilometres. Briley Hill, 37 occurrences within 4 kilometres. Wolverhampton, 34 occurrences within 4 kilometres. Kings Wimford, 25 occurrences within 4 kilometres. Pleas have been made for animal rescue workers to step in to save a vulnerable owl after numerous claims of attacks on people in the black country. There have been sightings of a Canadian great horned owl in the Sedgley area since September of last year, though the situation has recently escalated after claims a child was attacked by the bird. Staff at Broxwood, based on Catholic Lane in Sedgley, have also urged people to share an appeal to find the owl's owners, which they say is obviously an escaped pet. Barbara Royal, the owner of the International Bird Registry, wishes to stress that people should not approach the owl. She said, from its behaviour, we suspect it is now looking for a mate. It is protecting its territory because of its breeding condition. With all of the publicity, I'm surprised someone hasn't come forward and I would suspect it has been let go on purpose. One local resident said, Unfortunately, the owl attacked us and our neighbours with scratches to their scalps and we are struggling with our dogs in our back garden. I do think it's escaped. As much as it's good to know the owl has survived the winter, this is worrying. The owl was also spotted around the Northway area in September and later in Bilston, according to some reports. The appeal from Broxwood Animal Sanctuary said, Please share. We have had reports of a spotted eagle owl in the Dudley Sedgley area. We have trawled the various lost animal pages but can find no reference to this bird so far and we are keen to help find its home. We're hoping with the power of social media you can help us. If you do have any further information, you can contact 
contact Broxwood at Cotwell End Nature Reserve, Sedgley, on 01902 All the fun of the circus comes to the Dormston Mill Theatre in Sedgley on Thursday the 23rd of February at 1.30pm when the laughter-packed stage show Cartoon Circus Live combines the comedy of pantomime with the thrill of the circus. The one-hour half-term family show features some of Britain's funniest clowns, award-winning international circus artists, traditional slapstick comedy, illusions, the amazing girl in the spinning bottle, magic, a huge giant dancing bear, cartoon characters, an acrobatic human slinky, puppets, prizes and surprises. For further information, visit www.cartooncircuslive.co.uk or call Box Office 07906-854269. Birmingham set crime drama Peaky Blinders may have concluded on TV after six series, though a feature film is on the way. But for now, Stephen Knight is pouring his creative energies into a new project. He has a new BBC drama called This Town in the pipeline and it once again uses significant moments from local history as its foundation. Universal Music Group's Mercury Studios is a co-producer on the project and will bring in an exciting range of high-profile musical artists to help lay the backdrop for Knight's incredible story, according to the BBC. Here's what we know so far about This Town. Who is behind this town and what's it about? This town is the new project from Stephen Knight, creator of Peaky Blinders. Stephen went to school at what is now the Streetly Academy in Sutton Coldfield and was one of the executive producers behind the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games opening ceremony at the Alexander Stadium. Knight is the writer and creator of this town, whose official synopsis is An extended family and four young people are drawn into the world of ska and two-tone music, which exploded from the grassroots in the West Midlands in the late 70s and early 80s, which united black, white and Asian youth. The drama is set in 1981 and tells a tale of social unrest with young people fighting to choose their own paths, each of them in need of the second chance that music provides. Knight said, This is a project very close to my heart. It's about an era I lived through and know well, and it involves characters who I feel I grew up with. It's a love letter to the region, but I hope people from all over the world will relate to it. Where is this town being filmed? Filming started in November. In January, TV crews were in Wolverhampton filming what looked to be riot scenes for the drama. Shoppers spotted a burnt-out van on Victoria Street and police lined up next to an old-style riot van in the city centre. Do we know when this town will be on TV? No release date has been announced yet. The show is still in production, but we do know there will be six episodes, all written by Stephen Knight. Thanks for that, Liz. With attention being drawn to the issue of smart meters, we can now hear from Simon of the Partially Sighted Society. In a special feature, the RNIB, a home energy expert and some special guests experiencing sight loss, consider how accessible talking smart meters could help keep better track of our energy bills during the current cost of living crisis. On the forefront of everyone's mind at the moment is the cost of living crisis, which is hitting the wallets of everyone. None more so than people who are visually impaired. 
According to new research, 93% of blind or partially sighted people are already struggling to keep energy costs down, and with 44% of people with visual impairments saying they have a condition that requires extra energy use, attention is being drawn to the issue. This audio feature is a roundtable discussion on smart meters, and how they can help you cut the cost of energy and save money in the long run. So welcome everybody. Today on PSSI Talk, I'm joined by three guests, three very interesting guests, uh, three well-informed guests as well. So first of all, on the panel, we've got Zach Shaw. Uh, Zach, would you mind giving a bit of background on who you are and uh, some of your accomplishments, please? Yeah, so my name's Zach. When I was 12, I was diagnosed with a rare eyesight condition called Stargardt's disease. And yeah, I am, it's a cliche, but I wanted to try and turn it into a more positive situation in my life. So when I was 17 or 18, I got into athletics. And um, yeah, since then, I've been lucky enough to represent my country around the world. And I won a silver medal at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, which was probably a career highlight so far. Fantastic. That's amazing. Amazing. And despite that, we're here today to talk about something else that's affecting everybody, especially in the blind and partially sighted community. It's the cost of living crisis. Uh, what's made you want to talk about this today, Zach? To be honest, it's just that obviously I do athletics and that's my main thing, but I'm so passionate about the blind and visually impaired community and maybe some, not injustices, but maybe just how we can equal equal the playing field moving forward. So when I heard about this smart meter, which is so accessible for us, um, it, it was something I'm instantly was like, yeah, I really want to talk on this. Excellent. Yeah. So it's a smart meter. What, what can you tell us about the smart meter? Yeah. So I've, I've hands on, I've, I've tried it out. Yeah. It's, it's got an accessible display in it. it. It can literally read out in near real time, the usage of power in, in pounds and pence. So for me, someone that obviously I, I can't really see the screen. So for it to read it out is so, so helpful. And the buttons tactile as well so um i think as far as, as as far as smart meters go it's probably as accessible as you can get fantastic fantastic and i'm also joined by david clark who's the chief operating officer of the rnib david i've uh, i thought i recognized your your name you're also quite the sportsman yourself didn't you play some well not some blind but you were an international footballer as well weren't you can you go into a bit of detail about that for me as well <laughs> yeah absolutely so uh 10 years ago I retired so it's a hell of a long time ago now but uh, <laughs> I still have happy memories I played 144 games for England and Great Britain um, and having been blind all my life you know it's interesting that sport was something that I was not included in for a huge part of my life and then to then spend 17 years representing your country at football was fantastic but I think the interesting thing about that you know being locked out of sport and, and is what we're talking about here is that you know quite often the way society is built doesn't always include and quite, quite often doesn't include and as, as Zach said there's some injustices in that and I think that's the reason why we're trying to talk to you about what we're talking about today because yeah. you know what what a smart meter alone um, you know gives the, the visual understanding but the accessible in-home display which is you know free from the energy supplier actually starts to put people in control mm. and I think that's the point we can't make energy cheaper we can put people in control of what they're using and prioritize what's being used and have that knowledge which you know it must be so scary to be working on an estimated bill or going three months to three months without knowing what you've spent and then suddenly getting hit with a bill so this is, I'd really encourage everybody mm. to take this opportunity because it, it's something that that's been developed. It is freely available, and we really need to uh, to go and get the uh, the energy companies installing these as quick as we can. Fantastic, fantastic. I'm also joined here by Philippa Brown, home energy expert for Smart Energy GB. Uh, can you back some of what Zach just spoke about um, the difficulty that people might have, especially reading their um, smart meters and things like that? How important might it be for someone in the blind and partially sighted community to get one of these devices? Oh, I think it's I think it's really really important. We've, we've done some research recently and we found that nine in 10 
blind and partially sighted adults currently find it difficult to reduce their energy bills or think they will soon. Um, And I think for all of us at the moment, facing a cost of living crisis and being very conscious of our, you know, of our energy use and our energy consumption for anyone and everyone to be able to have access for that information and to have the accessible in-home display um, to be able to, uh, as Zach said, tell you what you're using, um, have that kind of text-to-speech functionality is really important. Brilliant. Thank you very much, everybody, here for joining us. Uh, Zach, Philip, and David, it's, it's much appreciated. For more expert advice about how you can save money on your energy bills and to inquire about how you can get an accessible smart meter fitting, we highly recommend you visit smartenergygb.org. That's smartenergygb.org. On their website, there is links to individual energy suppliers. Now you can get an installation booked. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear from Liz. An artist who goes to extreme lengths to produce microscopic works has etched the Lord's Prayer onto a speck of gold inserted into the eye of a needle. Graham Short said he'd hoped he'd be remembered for his latest creation. The region's artist has previously produced what is thought to be the world's tiniest nativity scene and a picture of the Queen on a pinhead. He uses beta blockers to slow his heart while working with a microscope at night to avoid vibrations of traffic. If a lorry went past outside, it would feel like an earthquake through the microscope, he said. The thickness of a human hair is 100 microns, so each letter is half the width of a human hair. Describing the piece as his greatest work to date, he added, It's the one I want to be known for, to be remembered for. He said the piece, worth an estimated £250,000, would be sold one day, but he would be displaying it to schoolchildren first. The primary schools are the best ones, he said. The 15-year-old ones aren't impressed. They know it all at that age. Mr Short's extreme lengths to stay still while working involve him taping a stethoscope to his chest in order to engrave between heartbeats and also having Botox. Every three months, I have a course of injections into my eyelids and that ensures there's no distractions from eye nerves or muscles when I'm working, he told BBC Radio. Another recent work features an engraving of the names of all the winners of the Cheltenham Gold Cup on the head of a horseshoe nail. Somebody pointed out to me that had I waited until this year's race in four weeks' time, it would be a hundred years of the race, so I'm going to hang on and hope last year's winner wins again and then I won't have to put their name on it, he said. The 1959 DKR Defiant Scooter is as stylish as they come and would have been the envy of any self-respecting mod back in the day. Now, one of the few remaining machines has returned home, taking its place in the Black Country Living Museum in Dudley and promising visitors a road trip down memory lane. The scooter was produced by the now-defunct Wolverhampton-based manufacturer DKR as an affordable and reliable means of transport during the 50s and 60s. Tim Shields, museum transport manager, said the DKR Defiant is a rare example of a black country built scooter of which few survive. 
This stylish, high-quality and well-engineered machine fills an important gap in our collection. Not only were they a user-friendly means of transport, but scooters also came to symbolise mod culture and youth fashion. Powered by a 197cc fan-cooled Villiers two-stroke engine and a four-speed gearbox, the scooter could reach a rapid top cruising speed of around 60 miles per hour, making the stylish scooter a formidable vehicle for the period. Although DKR launched several models of scooter, production ceased in 1966. This was largely due to falling sales and increased competition from foreign manufacturers, such as the Italian-built Vespa and Lambretta, which eventually came to dominate the market throughout Europe. Parts for the vehicle were made locally by the Willenhall Motor Radiator Company before being assembled in workshops at Penderford Airport, Wolverhampton. Mr Shields continued, This is a theme we will be exploring as part of our new development. Our 1940s-60s high street, which is due to open later this year, will allow us to share these stories. The unusual-looking vehicle featured a large front fairing, offering a good weather protection for the rider, while another unusual design feature was a storage locker with a drop-down lid that could also be converted into a picnic tray for meals and drinks. At the time, the vehicle usually retailed for around £188, making the vehicle a relatively affordable Wolverhampton-built vehicle for the time. Visitors will be able to take a look at the new vintage vehicle alongside the rest of the transport collection at the site in Tipton Road, which also includes motorcycles by black country manufacturers and a 1924 Guy Morris fire engine and trolley buses. A Telford couple who found love after becoming pen pals following a school trip have received a card from King Charles to mark their 60th wedding anniversary. Olive Mortimer, aged 81, and Michael Thomas Mortimer, aged 84, began writing to each other when they were about 15 years old and finally began courting when Olive was about 18 years old. The couple finally married on January the 26th, 1963, at Bushbury Parish Church in Wolverhampton. Olive said, I lived in Thorn in Yorkshire and Michael lived in Wolverhampton when we first met on the school trip and we became pen pals. I went on to work in a wool mill and Michael was employed in telegraphy on the railways. Michael went into the army in 1957 and did national service with the 12th Royal Lancers in Germany. We moved to the countryside in Telford in December 1968 and for seven years ran a news agency in Trench Road in Telford. Michael then joined the Shropshire Star and went to work in the printworks for 26 years until his retirement in 2001. After their marriage, the couple went on to have four children. Their extended family includes nine grandchildren and six great-grandchildren. Olive believes that the secret to a happy marriage is sorting things out by talking about problems. She said, not a day goes by that we don't say that we love each other. Michael said that the recipe for happiness was also talking things out. The couple celebrated their anniversary last weekend with a party for family and friends at Schiffnell Memorial Hall. Road closure fees have been waived by Dudley Council for people wanting to host street parties to celebrate the coronation of King Charles III. The King will be officially crowned at Westminster Abbey on May the 6th and there will be an official bank holiday on Monday May the 8th. Applications have already come in from residents wanting to hold street parties. 
Normally, fees can run into hundreds of pounds, but Dudley Council has taken the decision to waive the usual fees to encourage people to celebrate. The deadline for applications is March the 10th. Councillor Shaz Saleem, Cabinet Member for Highways and Public Realm, said, This is such a special historic moment that it's only right that people want to celebrate. We have tried to do everything we can to help with that by stopping the usual fees we would charge if that application is for a street party. At this early stage, we have already had three applications, but there's not a lot of time for people to request a road closure for us to process it. The council has also produced an online guide to help people plan a safe street party. That can be found at www.mayorofdudley.org.uk forward slash kings hyphen coronation. There is a limited number of party packs with lots of goodies for people to use at their event. They will be given out to the first people who ask, one per street party. People can request a street closure online at the above address or by calling 0300 555 2345. Up now, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Hello again everyone, I hope that you're all feeling as well as you can be. Here's another mixture of strange and unusual things that I've unearthed for your delight and delectation, and I hope that you're enjoying. Now then, did you know that? Candy floss was actually invented by a dentist. Dentist William Morrison and confectioner John C. Wharton invented a machine spun cotton candy in 1897. It was first introduced at the 1904 World's Fair as Fairy Floss. Then another dentist, Joseph Lasso, reinvented the machine in 1921. He came up with the name Cotton Candy, which replaced Fairy Floss. And nowadays the king owns all the swans in England. According to British law, any unclaimed swan swimming in the open waters of England and Wales belongs to the king. The law originated in medieval times when swans were a delicacy for the wealthy, which still stands today. Now it's up to our King Charles to uphold the centuries-old tradition with the swans. Every year, during the third week of July, all the swans in the River Thames accounted for the monarch in a practice called swan-upping. The master of suspense who terrified audiences with movies like Psycho and the Birds considered himself an ovophobe, someone frightened of eggs. Alfred Hitchcock explained to an interviewer in 1963, I'm frightened of eggs. Worse than frightened, they revolt me, and I've never tasted one. One quarter of all your bones are located in your feet. There are 26 bones in each foot. That's 52 bones in both feet, and out of 206 total bones in the whole body, which is more than 25%. Your feet support your weight and allow you to jump, run and climb. And these bones and joints also allow your feet to absorb and release energy efficiently. If you got in your car, turned on the ignition and drove up to the sky at 60 miles an hour, it would take just one hour to get to outer space. That's according to astronomer Fred Hoyle. Of course, this is purely theoretical, but it's fun to think about. And if everybody did it, I bet you'd have a job finding parking space. <laughs> get it? Space? And clouds are not as light and fluffy as they appear. In fact, researchers have found that a single cloud can weigh up to 1.1 million pounds. 
And how do they know that? Well, that number is calculated by taking the water density of a cloud and multiplying it by its volume. Fortunately, the cloud can still float at that weight because the air below it is even heavier. Who'd have thought you could drive into space quicker than you could drive to London, or that Hitchcock was scared of eggs? And who'd have thought that I could run out of my crusted creams, eh? Oh well, just a cuppa for me now, then I'll take me a trip down Aldi and replenish my biscuit tin. But till next week then, I'll just say bye for now. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra. Up now, we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us as always, by Mina. weather for this week ahead will be rather unsettled with sunny intervals and showers some of which may be wintry temperatures are forecast to be around average at 7 degrees for most of the week but overnight temperatures will continue to struggle and remain cold with a risk of frost in places uv levels are expected to be low the sunrise and sunset times are 7.30am for the sunrise and 17.15pm for the sunset. For Friday 10th of February, the forecast is looking wintry with a chance of some sleet and snow throughout the day. However, temperatures should still get to the maximum of around 7 degrees. This unsettled pattern will continue as we move into Saturday, seeing a chance of some further wintry showers and light rain in places. This shouldn't settle for long though as once the mist lifts on Sunday we shall see some sunny spells with temperatures back to 7 degrees giving a pleasant feel to the end of the weekend. On to next week and temperatures will continue to hold up well all week hovering around 8 degrees but umbrellas at the ready as it is forecast for it to be rather wet, with rain set to hit the region right through to Thursday 16th of February. So, that's your forecast for this week. As always, enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Up now, it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. They've not come round often this season, but it was a buoyant weekend in the Black Country as both Albion and Wolves returned to winning ways in quite emphatic fashion. First up on Friday night, Albion enjoyed a comfortable 1-0 victory over local rivals Coventry City, making it six home league games on the spin without conceding a goal, a feat not achieved at the Hawthorns since Ronnie Allen's side of 1977. Such a welcome success was the ideal tonic in a week Corberan added duo Mark Albrighton and Nathaniel Chaloba to his ranks. Albrighton was handed his debut from the off and was a real live wire early on with impressive delivery. For all of Albion's nice play, reward for an electric start to the clash was something of an agricultural opener via the arms of Darnell Furlong. The right back hurled in a long throw. Wallace climbed in the middle of the box to flick on, where Grady Diangana timed his movement to perfection to poke high into the net. It was 1-0 when it might have already been 3-2. Understandably, the high-octane start calmed after that moment. Albion were rarely troubled and played out a composed, professional and fully deserved victory. The three points lifts Albion from 10th to 5th in the championship table. After the final whistle, head coach Carlos Corberan spoke about several pleasing aspects of his team's performance, including their fast start and ability to see out the game with relative ease. 
The level of commitment, personality and concentration was very high, Corberan said. That level enabled us to win the game and deserved the result we achieved. It was the right reaction we needed to have and the right mentality to finish the game. Every time we're here in front of our fans, we're pleased to make them proud. And records were also being smashed on Saturday afternoon as Wolves picked up their first Premier League win over Liverpool since 2010 with a 3-0 thrashing at Molyneux. Ahead of kickoff, Wolves unveiled new midfielder Joao Gomez to the Molyneux crowd. Not quite ready for selection, Gomez was not one of four changes to the side that lost to Manchester City two weeks ago. However, Craig Dawson and Pablo Sarabia both came in for their first starts as Wolves shifted formation. It was an interesting decision from Lopetegui to flex his tactical nous and change to a 4-4-2 formation with Huang Hee-chan on the right and Mateus Nunes on the left of a midfield four, looking to push back the dangerous attacking fullbacks of Liverpool. That move paid off as Wolves made a fast start. In an explosive opening, with Molyneux rocking, Wolves pressed aggressively and punished a Liverpool defence that was all at sea, making it 2-0 after just 12 minutes. Joel Matip's own goal set the tone before Craig Dawson smashed the ball into the roof of the net to make it 2-0 with a goal on his debut. Several individuals were putting in stellar performances, with Mario Lamina and Ruben Neves shining in midfield. A second-half resurgence saw Liverpool dominate the opening exchanges, but a superb Wolves counter-attack in the 71st minute culminated in Ruben Neves latching onto Adama Traore's fine low cross and slotting the ball home into the bottom corner past Alisson, sending the Wolves faithful into raptures. The stuffing was knocked out of Liverpool as some of the visiting supporters headed for the exit. Although head coach Hulen Lopetegui was delighted with the result and performance, he was eager to keep his side level-headed for the long relegation battle ahead. He said, we are happy because we won and we got three important points. The players made a big effort, but that is all. It's only three points. We have not done anything at the moment. We have to continue working hard and looking for the next match. Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well, now's the time to find out, as we have the quiz answers. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question one. What was the profession of the man who invented candy floss? The answer, a dentist. Question two, what is the practice of counting swans on the River Thames called? And the answer here is swan upping. Question three, how many bones do we have in each foot? And the answer here is 26. Question four, how long could it take to drive a car into space? It would take one hour at 60 miles per hour. Question five. What did Alfred Hitchcock say he was afraid of? And the answer here, of course, is eggs. And finally, question six. What is heavy but lighter than air? Answer, a cloud. How did you get on? Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry as I will be back next week to test you once again. Bye for now. Time now for our third edition of Sight Loss Tips, provided by the charity InfoSend. This bulletin of practical information provides detail on telephone support groups, telling others you have a visual impairment, 
and an accessible VI-friendly mobile phone. For further information on any of these items, you can also contact Beacon's team of sight loss advisors on 01902 880 and that number again is 01902 880 News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. Hello and welcome to the third edition of InfoShorts from InfoSound, a brief bulletin of information including a handy tip to help daily living with sight loss. In this edition, telephone support groups, letting others know you have a vision impairment and an accessible mobile phone. Now, you'll hear a few phone numbers and email addresses mentioned, and these could well be worth noting, so you can then follow up what you've heard here by talking to those who can give you fuller information should you want to know more. The RNIB's talk and support team runs free phone-based social groups for adults with sight loss across the UK. They say that they give people the opportunity to socialise, build friendships, and get peer support with others who also experience sight loss. And RNIB matches individuals together for conversations based on their age and what their interests and preferences are. These talk and support groups tend to meet on the same day at the same time each week, with each session running for about 55 minutes. Their volunteers, who coordinate and run these phone meetups, help the group chat together and keep the conversation flowing. Incidentally, RNIB makes the point that if someone also has difficulties with hearing, then as long as they can use a hearing aid or an amplified phone, they can still take part. If you would like to join a talk and support group, or just find out a little more, you can phone RNIB's National Helpline on 0303 123 9999. That's 0303 123 9999. InfoSound. Now, on each edition of InfoShorts, we feature a handy hint, a helpful bit of advice about the practicalities of living with sight loss. Some you may know, some you may not. And providing the tip is Anita Plant, Rehabilitation Officer and Low Vision Advisor at the national charity, the Partially Sighted Society. And Anita, this time we're talking about how someone can what let others know that they are living with sight loss. Yes. Sight loss is often a silent disability with no outward sign that there's any problem or any vision loss. So our tip is to wear some kind of symbol of visual disability, like a badge, a lanyard, or an armband, that can help to indicate to others that you're not seeing. Not everybody has a white cane, and not everybody feels comfortable using one. So this is a way of indicating to others that you can't see, and it changes the conversation. And what kind of form do these badges or labels take? I mean, is it all the same symbol, or can they be worn or displayed in different ways? So the symbol of visual disability is an uh, shaded eye symbol, and that actually belongs to the Partially Sighted Society. It was designed by us years ago. So we take that symbol and we have that onto badges, a small yellow badge. So it has the symbol on the badge and it has the words next to it, partially sighted. So those badges can be worn on any item of clothing. It just helps indicate to others the visual disability. We also have a lanyard, which can be worn around the neck, and that 
that has a paper insert which says visually impaired, I am visually impaired, please be aware. But they can actually say anything you want them to say as long as it's not too rude. And then we also have an armband that says as well, I am visually impaired, please be aware. And you mentioned partial sight. Are these equally relevant for people who may regard themselves as blind, having, you know, very little sight or indeed no sight at all? Yeah, absolutely. It just, you know, it it just helps to sort of create that awareness and it just changes the conversation with people. You know, like if you do bump into somebody or you're in a shop and you're just taking longer than normal to find the slot to put your card in the machine or, you know, whatever, it just allows people to be a little bit more understanding. And where can people get hold of these or find out more about the range of these labels or badges? So they're available from us. You can give us a call on 01302 965 195. 01302 965 195. Then we also have an online shop, so they're available from our website, which is part site.org.uk and we also have a brochure of these armbands and all these useful items that we're happy to send out to anybody. Thanks very much Anita. InfoSound And finally, for now information about just one of several accessible mobile phones on the market. The thing about mobile phones is that there are just so many different ones and they have a variety of functions. To give just one example, several retailers sell the Blind Shell Classic, which is a talking device with voice control that means you can do things like calling and sending a message to a contact, opening any application in the phone, getting information about the weather and finding out your location without using the phone's physical keypad. As well as carrying out basic functions like making phone calls, sending and receiving text messages, handling contacts and offering an alarm, a calendar, a timer and the ability to take notes, it can also browse the web, send and receive emails, play music, talking books and the radio, detect colours and so on. As mentioned, several places sell this phone and the more advanced Blindshell Classic 2, whose design could be suitable for some blind and partially sighted people. So with that, we come to the end of this third edition of the Info Shorts Bulletin from InfoSound. We hope you can join us next time and thanks for listening. News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. TNF Soundings. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV4 6AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. 
Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us. Stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!